Okay, let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful that you've put it in our minds and hearts to uh, gather around your word here this evening and to see your mighty works. <clears throat> Lord, we are the ones in need. We need your mighty works in our lives, in our churches, in our nation. And Lord, we pray that you would not withdraw from us. Lord, that you would not hide your presence, but manifest your presence, Lord, to us. And uh, forgive us when we have not sought your presence and been grateful for it. And uh, what can we say, Lord? You're, you're good and gracious. And uh, at times we're ashamed, Lord, and, and uh, we pray that you would just humble us and we thank you for the certainty of your grace because of our Lord Jesus Christ and his work and what he's done on our behalf and help us, we never forget, help us depend on him and the power of your Holy Spirit and the, and the power of your word. Lord, we pray that you would make your word come alive in our minds and hearts and that we would, we would be uh, trusting, that we would obey because we trust you. Help us trust you. And you never make a mistake and you never command us to do anything which ultimately would lead to harm, just the opposite. Lord, as we study the history of the building of your church, uh, we're thrilled to see uh, how you did that, how you've done that, and uh, we pray that you would continue in our day to build the churches in this nation, that we would not be ashamed of you and not be ashamed of your gospel and not be ashamed of your word, and that we would bow the knee to the Lord Jesus. He is great and wonderful. Help us realize that. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're up in the point in the book of Acts. We've, we've uh, got to our first uh, time of persecution, actually. If you, if you look there uh, on, the, on the chart I have up here on the screen... And that resulted as a result of Peter and John healing that lame man who had been um, set at the temple gate. And he was over 40 years old and he was lame from birth. And uh, Peter and John healed him and that attracted a lot of attention. And we had this second record in Acts uh, chapter 3 of Peter's, another record of Peter's sermon. Acts chapter 2, we see Peter's uh, sermon on the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 3, this is maybe some weeks or months later, we're not really sure. Um, but we have this record of uh, another one of Peter's sermons in Acts chapter 3. And we're going to have another record of uh, Peter addressing the Sanhedrin here in Acts chapter 4. So where we are is around Acts chapter 4, verse 8 through 14. And Peter and John have been uh, brought uh, before the leaders. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, uh, so let's just pick it up there. Let me... Let's, Acts chapter 4, verse 8, and we'll, we'll just start there. <clears throat> uh, okay. So what has happened here is uh, they have been brought before the council or the Sanhedrin and set down in their midst. And uh, let's, let's back up and pick that up. Um, yeah, let's... Let's pick it up right here in chapter 4, verse 5. Okay. Yes, they were uh, uh, spent the night in prison. Right. They spent the night in prison. It came to pass on the next day that the rulers and the elders, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst of them, they asked, by what power 
or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man by him this man stands before you whole. So this is a great scene. Uh, somehow the man who was healed connected back up with them that morning because Peter and John were in prison that night. And yet when they show up before the council, uh, the lame man is there with them. So it's the three of them are there before the council and he's standing there with them. Peter goes on, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. So Peter goes in, into, he is blazing here, and uh, this is the stone, referring to Jesus, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And what is he referring to there? Where, where does he get this idea? One of Jesus' parables of the... What's that? One of Jesus' parables of the... Uh, nope. Not from Jesus' parables. Where, did, where does Peter get this idea? In verse 11. What is he doing there? What's that? What's that? No. He's quoting the Old Testament. Okay, he's quoting, he's quoting the Old Testament is what he's doing. And in all of his messages and responses, he's doing that almost all the time. His discourses are, remember, we said they have two witnesses. They're, they're always using two witnesses. They're, they're eyewitnesses. That, that they witness to that. They're eyewitnesses. And their second witness that they use is the Old Testament. And that's what Peter is doing right here. He's explaining the rejection of Jesus based on Psalm 118. And, and we might look at that in a moment. So he's telling the Sanhedrin, this, that is Christ, is the stone which was rejected. Now look at, he identifies the builders, you builders. You're supposed to be building Israel you're the religious leaders of Israel. You're the builders. And you builders have rejected Jesus, the Messiah. But he has become the chief cornerstone. And then Peter lays this one on them, which we'll talk about. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So... Um, Peter is demonstrating that promise that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. It's exactly what Peter is doing. And the text says that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, right there, then Peter, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. So this is, it's, it's happening. Uh, the Holy Spirit's been poured out, and Peter is now bearing, uh, bearing witness in a hostile, hostile environment. Uh, that is surely happening here. Peter, again, is unmistakably identifies Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's his human origin. And now this is the third discourse of Peter that we have, that we've heard, and in every one of these discourses, he tells the Jews that they crucified Jesus, the Messiah. This is the third time now he's told them that. And um, although Peter and John, yeah, we spent all night in prison, I already said that. They brought the lame man with them. I'm on 279 now. Peter sees the opportunity and says more than simply answering their question. So he brings in the Old Testament, which I've kind of uh, uh, <clears throat> mentioned for you guys to realize when he's quoting the Old Testament. 
And let's look at that. This is the stone, Psalm 118, that the builders rejected. And we will have it here. There. Okay. It's quite a psalm. And uh, I believe it's a psalm of David. And it's messianic. It's about the Messiah. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. See that? Uh, so it was the Lord's doing that the stone be rejected. And Peter already said that in Acts chapter 2, to do whatever your predetermined hand and plan ordained. And here we have the same truth. This, you know, uh, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So uh, this is one of the most misused verses in all the Bible, (laughs) verse 24. I don't want to be negative, but we shouldn't just, Scripture is not, Scripture needs to be respected. I don't know what else to say. And, you know, that verse shows up on all kind of greeting cards and it shows up on worship leaders say that on Sunday morning when, they, when they're beginning a worship service. And, I mean, that's okay, but we, can, we need to do better than that. And obviously, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What day is that? The day the stone was rejected and became the chief cornerstone. <laughs> that's the day that is marvelous in our eyes, right? That's the marvelous day in our eyes. We see God's plan that, that, that Jesus, he's the, and he's rejected, and yet he becomes a chief cornerstone. So the day of Christ's suffering and rejection and becoming the chief cornerstone, that's his uh, ascension, of course, his, his rejection and death and ascension. That's the day that the Lord has made. And it's marvelous in our eyes. And what happens? We will rejoice and be glad in it. The it there is this day. And, and every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, there's a sense in which we are actually doing this, Right? The Lord's Supper reminds us of Jesus' death and his resurrection and his ascension. We're making a specific remembrance of that day when we practice the Lord's Supper, aren't we? And so this is the passage that Peter uh, goes to as he's standing before these hostile witnesses. And the the figure here is, uh, a building is being constructed out of stones and uh, the slaves at the rock quarry <laughs> the, at the rock quarry have not have hammered out all these stones and they've brought them over to the side of the building and the builders go to this big pile of stones that have come from the quarry and the builders take up each stone and they kind of inspect it whether they're going to use it in the building or not. Okay, and, and as they're doing that, they pull up a stone and say, well, this one's not very good, and they toss it in the trash heap. That's the illustration. And so the illustration says what? Yeah, the builders, they come across Jesus, and he's not, he's not useful for this building, and they toss him in the trash heap. See, the stone that was rejected. That is the illustration of how... They treated Jesus. Okay? Now bring that forward. Okay? (laughs) Bring that forward. How many are there who have heard the gospel, who have the gospel, 
who have the Word of God, they have the revelation of the Son of God, and they do exactly the same thing that these unbelieving builders have done. They reject that stone, don't they? They, 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 just, they just toss him aside. Uh, Dave, let me get you the, get you the mic. Is um, I lost my train of thought. Rewind it, Dan. What did you just? Pardon me. Oh. I was saying that. Oh, oh I'm yeah, doing yeah, a yeah, you yeah, know a yeah, parallel yeah, between yeah. these unbelie- unbelieving Jews. They rejected the chief cornerstone, didn't they? But I can't. And, I can't help think of the passage. As they were destined to do. Sure, in Acts, in Acts chapter 2. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right, this exactly. passage goes along with that. This is parallel exactly. with what, what Peter said in, um, sure, let's, let's, let, let, me, let me bring that up. Um, it's in there, oh, it's. Yeah, right here is 2.23. Um, okay, signs and wonders did through him, through Christ, in your midst, as you yourselves know, him being, right, yeah, the, 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 him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Okay. You have taken by lawless hands and have crucified him. Okay. So it's according to God's plan. And um, <clears throat> but I guess I guess what I wanted to inquire of is, um, is this defense that Peter and John present, is this the first manifestation of Luke 12, where Luke says, and when you come before the magistrates and oh, the synagogues, sure it the is. The Holy Spirit will come sure upon it you is. and give you all that. Right. Don't worry about to, what you exactly. have to say when they bring you before the rulers and the governors. Right. Don't you know? Don't worry about what you ha- what you have to say. For in that very hour, the Holy Spirit, Spirit will, will give you yeah. what to say. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. That's on display here. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, they are all of these things that Jesus told them are coming true. The persecution. You're going to be brought before the rulers. The promise of assistance by the Holy Spirit—they uh, <clears throat> are—they are now experiencing all those things that Jesus uh, <clears throat> told them and prepared them for. So, uh, so G, uh, Peter makes this uh, big statement here <clears throat> in Acts four twelve. Nor is there salvation in any other. And he uses this expression. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The members of the council would have agreed that the God of Israel is humanity's only Savior. They They would agree with that. But Peter now insists that the name of Jesus is the only means by which God's saving power can be invoked and experienced. See? God's ultimate act of salvation has been accomplished through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and exaltation to the right hand of God. And notice that the name is given. God has initiated our salvation. He has provided his son. He has given his son. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So... If the leaders, and what, what is that name? Well, not, let, me, let me stick to my own notes here. Jesus is now exalted. 
He's the exalted Lord upon whom we must call for salvation. As the Joel prophecy ended, remember the Joel prophecy in Acts chapter 2. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What Joel's statement means is whoever calls on the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Who is the Lord in the Joel prophecy? It's the Lord Jesus. And that's Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. And there's no other name but that name. That God's saving power operates among men. And so they must call upon him. So if the leaders are to be saved, even they must acknowledge their utter dependence upon Jesus, whom they crucified. And they must call upon him. They must repent of their rejection of Jesus of Nazareth is what they must do. That's where their repentance must begin. They rejected Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Messiah, and he's the only name given by God under heaven. And so they must, they must repent of that rejection of him. It isn't just a rejection of a doctrine. <laughs> it's the rejection of the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Okay. And when we witness the people, we need to talk from we're not we're not witnessing to you about just rejecting a doctrine. You are actually rejecting the Son of God, whom the Father sent into the world to be our Savior. Put it in those personal terms. Okay. And there's no other name given under heaven. And given among men, okay, under heaven, that just about covers every place, right? (laughs) That covers everywhere, right? There's no other name under heaven. That covers the whole globe, doesn't it? Do that. It's universal. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And, you know, we're hated for this doctrine, aren't we? The exclusivity that Jesus is the only way. We're, we, you know, we're bigots. We're, we're, we're called bigots. And, and, and we're, mis, you know, we're misrepresented. And, 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 you know, and it's sad because they're the ones who are perishing. And, um, and yet, this offer of salvation is made to them. Okay? It's made to them. And... and uh, so, everybody should know and understand this passage. Uh, and Peter fearlessly uh, tells the council that. Um, so, okay. <clears throat> Let me pick back up in my notes here. Okay, verses 13 through 18. Now, when they... The council saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled, okay? As they listened to Peter and John, they marveled, and then, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Well, that... You know, that'll take care of any amount of being untrained and uneducated. (laughs) They became the students of the the greatest teacher there ever was. (laughs) And for three years, seven days a week, they were with Jesus. And they listened to Jesus. And Jesus trained them. And Jesus sent them out. and, And Jesus taught them the Old Testament when he opened their minds that they might understand the scriptures. Remember that in Luke. He opened their minds so they could understand the Old Testament. And Peter obviously learned the lesson because he's shooting off the Old Testament all over the place. 
And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And like I said, the man was there. What? And seeing, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them. What's really cool about this is he's getting to hear the gospel. <laughs> the man that they healed is hearing the gospel as Peter and John present it to the Sanhedrin about Jesus. He's, he's getting to hear the gospel in this whole setting, okay? They could say nothing against it, okay? Verse 15, they're going to huddle. But when they had commanded them to go outside, that would be the three men, to go outside, out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. See, this is another one of those examples. This is a hostile witness, which is one of the best kind of witnesses you can have. You're, they're witnessing to that which they're hostile against, that, this, that the apostles healed this man. We can't deny it. Everybody knows it. This is an example. We call this a hostile witness, which is very powerful. Hostile witnesses are very powerful in a court of law uh, <clears throat> because they don't want to confess what they're confessing. Okay, They don't want to agree. They wish there you know, was some other explanation as to how this guy got healed, but they know there just isn't. It's a real miracle. It is evident to all in Jerusalem, you see, and we cannot deny it. You better believe if they had found some way to deny it, they would. They tried to do that with the man born blind, didn't they? They, they went all over the place trying to find, deny that miracle. It was another example of this. Okay, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So that's their strategy. And they called them and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Well, then we have Peter and John's famous statement. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Okay. So they are going to disobey uh, those authorities. And... Uh, <clears throat> The council would have to agree with the principle that Peter and John set forth. They would have to agree that God should be listened to more than men. They would agree with that. God should be listened to more than men. This conflict has arisen because one party is listening to God and one party is not. <laughs> That's the conflict. They, both parties agree that God should be listened to more than men. Correct? Sure they do. They both agree on that. They're all theistic. They all believe in the, 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 you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And intellectually, they all would all acknowledge all of that. We should listen to God more than men. One group is listening to God, the other group isn't, but thinks they are. They're deceived. The council members are lost. They're deceived. They think they're the ones listening to God, and they're not. They're lost. Okay? So we ought to listen to men or God. And... Uh, so obviously, uh, no human, ha no council, king, government has the authority to tell a Christian, you can't preach the gospel. <laughs> no rulers have that authority. 
to do that. And on the other hand, we are commanded to do that. <laughs> we don't have the option not to. And guess what they say? That's exactly what they say in the next verse. Not only will we not obey your command, we don't have the option not to, right? Peter and John answered, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge what? For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And I think there's two, they're constrained. That's what he's saying. We are constrained to speak these things. You're telling us not to speak them, but we are completely constrained to speak the things which we have seen and heard. And I think there's two constraints there. The Lord Jesus has commissioned them to be witnesses to his resurrection. He has commanded them, commissioned them, and equipped them. You shall be my witnesses to his resurrection. And they are under that command and constraint. They don't have an option not to do this. Okay? That's one of the constraints that they are under. Remember, we went through three Great Commission passages, didn't we? Go in all the world and preach repentance in my name for the forgiveness of sins and, uh, and testify of my resurrection. So they are constrained from that point of view. It's, they gotta, are they going to obey Jesus or are they going to obey you know, the Sanhedrin? Well, obviously, they're constrained to obey Jesus. The other constraint, I, I think, which is there is an inward constraint. That is, they realize they are compelled by a force greater than themselves to speak. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit for this very purpose to speak. And they are, they are experiencing that compulsion. I can't keep my mouth shut. I must speak. So they, they, both of those, I think, are, they're constrained by that. And, uh, and that kind of constraint didn't end with the apostolic age. We all are given the power and the gifts and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and we feel that constraint also as believers at times that I can't keep my mouth shut in this situation. And, and we feel real miserable if we do. <laughs> uh, Dave? I guess the only distinction between the apostles in this situation and us moving forward is we haven't seen, but we've certainly heard. Right. Yeah, we haven't seen, but we have heard. <laughs> That's right. We are not first-hand eyewitnesses in the sense that that witness term is used here in Acts. And, uh, but we have heard uh, the word of God. And so, yeah, I mean, and they have an apostolic gifting, which we don't. Okay, they're, they're infallible. Okay, and, and Jesus is going to bring to their remembrance all the things that he said. We don't have the apostolic gift. They do, but we do have the Holy Spirit to enable us to speak and, and, and defend uh, the gospel. Uh, so, yeah. So that's uh, their, their response. And... Um, yeah. Okay. So, what do the rulers do? Threaten them some more. Verse 21. So, when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Okay. So, this was verbal threats at this point. They weren't physically beaten at this point. They, 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 this is their first persecution, and they did admirably, and they were verbally threatened but they didn't actually lay their hands upon them. This is going, that's going to come uh, down the road here. And they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Okay, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them. Uh, but interesting, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. So... The, impl- the, the inference there is, if it wasn't for so many people that witnessed all this, they would have physically 
assaulted them. Is the inference of that statement. But too many people knew what Peter and John had done. And they wouldn't have gotten away with it. Why are they flogging these two guys that healed this lame man that we see, you know, every day when we go in and out of the temple? So they would have used physical force if it wasn't for that. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So, okay, so what happens then is they return. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David said, they're back to the Old Testament. (laughs) They're right back to the Old Testament. Psalm 2 this time. Mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the peoples plot of vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Okay, that's the third time in these early passages. We have it in Acts 2, we have it here in Acts 4, and we also have it, the stone which the builders rejected. Okay. Now, Lord, look, at, look on their threats. And what do they pray for? Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Okay. So uh, they understand, they use the Old Testament to know what's happening here. They use Psalm chapter 2. This has all been planned. It's been predicted. They are experiencing that. And what their request is, is that they don't cave under the pressure, under under the threats. Rather, they do the opposite, is that your servants with all boldness may speak your word. Okay, they're very aware that that's what the apostles are doing. Okay? The apostles are speaking God's word in an authoritative apostolic sense. That's what they're doing. Um, others are, are, of course, witnessing too, not just the twelve, but the, the apostles uh, in a special sense are doing that. And by stretching out your hand to heal and the apostles are doing the signs and wonders. We'll see more of that in chapter 4 in, in a special way. Um, may be done through the name, and they're doing those signs and wonders through the name of Jesus. Okay. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and their prayer got answered. I need a new mouse. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, their prayer was answered and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Okay. Yeah. So, what Luke now does in his account, any questions on on um, this? Yes. We have a comment uh, by Zenaida. Uh, God's power is unstoppable in Peter's time as well 
as in our lives today if we only allow him to use us and work through us. As we Amen. <laughs> That's from the Philippines. <laughs> That's your sister. <laughs> Very good. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> God's power is, he's as powerful today as he was then. And we need to remember that. And Jesus, of course, encourages us to pray for big things, for big things. And, uh, yeah. So great, great examples here for us um, and uh, an encouragement because God hasn't changed. And, <clears throat> and our brothers and sisters in many other parts of the world, this is kind of theoretical for us. I mean, what persecution do we get? I mean, we get made fun of. You know, we're at that level. We're, you know, we're made fun of. Okay, and and we're the, you know, we're the brunt of jokes and that type of thing, but um, <clears throat> to be threatened by directly by our governmental authorities, I mean, we're getting awful close. <laughs> you know, we're getting awful close to that. Um, mm. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What uh, what James is saying? I think I saw the same video you saw. Yeah, I did. She 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 was praying silently, really? and the police sensed that she was praying, though it was silent, and they arrested her. Is this recent? Or was some months ago? I mean, is this like in the last six months, last year? No, about a month ago. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, send me the reference. I'd like I'd like to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what Luke does in his account is he all he goes back and forth, he pulls out specific cases of things which we've just had and then he shifts the camera, so to say, and gives us the broad view. And he's going to do that at verse, uh, at verse 32 here. Okay. And, uh, well, I'm sorry, down here at, um, yeah, verse 32. So he shifts now after he shows us their prayer together and they spoke the word of God with boldness. And now he shifts, gives us a general description. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And, and, and I'm not stretching the text to say in this passage there is a specific gifting and apostolic power that the twelve have. And, and Luke makes that clear. Everybody is witnessing, uh, but there is a special witness from these 12, and, and Luke is pointing that out. Uh, with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And let, let me just stop, uh, stop right there. I want to say something about that, that statement. So, yeah, not with, notwithstanding the gag orders, with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord. Now, we can assume that the apostles' powerful witness to Jesus' resurrection looked something like Peter in Acts chapter 2. Probably was very similar to that, that Peter is drawing on the Old Testament He's doing those two things. He's drawing on the Old Testament and he's drawing on his eyewitness testimony and he's combining both of those. And that's probably what it sounded like. Uh, <clears throat> they are reporting their eyewitness encounters with Jesus after he rose. Okay? That's what they're doing. They're reporting those eyewitness encounters with Jesus after he rose and they are telling of the empty tomb 
and they are pointing out the Old Testament scripture which foretold of both a rejected and suffering Messiah who was vindicated by rising from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God. That's what they're doing. And uh, it's, it would seem pretty certain that the women, the women witnesses to the resurrection, and we know Luke really emphasizes the, the female witnesses to the resurrection, we, we can assume they are doing the same. Okay? They are witnessing what they saw and how they entered that empty tomb on that Sunday morning. And so all of that is going on, and uh, God, is, God is blessing that. Uh, so... <clears throat> Now, uh, <clears throat> the unity, the unity thing. Let me go back here on page two seventy nine. Um, they were all of one heart and one soul, and uh, they had all things in common. Back here, that's what I should have just followed my notes. Okay, so. They were one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. So we're going to talk about this in some more detail here. Again, Luke emphasizes the unity. He stresses the unity again, how wonderful that unity was. Now, the gospel and their believing in Jesus transformed their attitudes regarding their earthly possessions. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. But they had all things in common. This attitude came from realizing they had been bought with a price, the blood of Christ, and they were not their own. Now, I don't think I'm... Let me just read my next sentence. This truth they were learning by the practice of the Lord's Supper and the teaching of the apostles who were explaining not only the Lord's resurrection, but his death. It's interesting in these early chapters of Acts, you all, you don't see you don't see an explanation of Jesus dying for their sins. When you read the book of Acts, you don't see an emphasis on that. Okay, I mean that's just an observation, and and. And commentators and students of Scripture, you know, talk about the theology of the book of Acts. What are the theological things that is stressed in the book of Acts? It's not Jesus' death for sin. I mean, it's there in the book of Acts, and Paul's going to say that. But what's stressed in the book of Acts is Jesus' resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. However, what did they begin to practice very early on. The Lord's Supper. So they are practicing the Lord's Supper probably weekly. And so in their practice of the Lord's Supper, they are understanding that it's Jesus' blood that saves them. Even though that we don't see that emphasis here in the in uh, in Luke's account, and so I'm connecting the dots. What has transformed them about what is their own <laughs> is that they've been bought with a price of the blood of Christ, and they are not their own. And whatever they have is not their own in this uh, materialistic, self-centered way. So they are learning that. Uh, through the Lord's Supper. Now, 
don't worry, I'm not going to become a communist here, okay? <laughs> so just, just follow me. The first thing we need to see is when people do this, when people don't say, mine, 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 <laughs> that's a powerful witness to the work of the Lord in their lives. Okay? They were not saying this. Uh, <clears throat> now, they didn't say that the things that belonged to them were their own, but in fact they were, <laughs> which is what makes their generosity genuine. Those things really were their own in another sense. They did belong to them. So this, this is not communism. And we will see later in the case of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, they were not required to contribute any of their property. It remained their own. See, they didn't say these things were their own. They behaved as if they weren't their own. But in actuality, they were their own. That property belonged to them. And yet, they gave it up freely. So, that's, not, that's not communism. So, and then from verse 34 through 35, we'll jump over 33, uh, we learn at this early stage that the apostles were administering the people's aid, nor was there, nor was there among them nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. Okay? And it says it right there. They were possessors of lands or houses. They did own. They sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one that had need. We talked about that, that expression last week, I think. So, um, <clears throat> so they were admin- the apostles were administering this generosity, such distributed as to anyone who has need. Uh, so there wasn't a <laughs> there wasn't a purpose here to to level everybody's wealth to be the same amount. They didn't distribute this so that everybody had the same amount of wealth. They distributed it so there was no one, so that the necessities of life for everyone was met. And that's what that expression says, right? As to each one, distributed to each one as anyone had need. Okay? So they didn't level the wealth of everyone in the community. They made sure everyone in the community had the essentials met. And I'm conjecturing a little bit here. And if they had any excess, I believe they would have saved it. If they had excess, they would have saved it and they would have used it to fulfill other commands in the New Testament that sound like this. Be ready for every good work. (laughs) If everybody's needs were met and they had excess, they would have saved it. And what would they would do then? They would be ready for every good work. When someone suddenly did have a need, they wouldn't have to launch a fundraising program. They would be ready for that good work, wouldn't they? And the other thing that Paul says in Titus is that our people should be able to meet urgent needs. Okay? How can you meet an urgent need if you don't have anything with which to meet it? And so I think that's how the church managed the finances. They had plenty, 
So they made sure nobody had needs that weren't being met, and if they had excess, they were ready for every good work and to meet urgent needs. And, and actually, those two commands I've just quoted from Titus are actually initially direct to us as believers, not the church. But those two texts tell us we ought to manage our lives such that we're ready for every good work that comes our way and that we're ready to do um, to meet urgent needs. And I'm not trying to discourage you, but I'm trying to encourage you that in this matter of, of uh, our possessions, uh, we, should, we should get ourselves in a position, if we can, at times we're not able to do that. that that's the Lord's providence. He doesn't deal with all of us the same way. But um, that ought to be our goal in our prayer. And as we, as men, manage our households, uh, that ought to be, you know, the Lord will help you do that. And, and that's a direction, you know, he calls us to go in. But, so this church at the beginning, they, you know, they were blessed and, and they redistributed uh, what they had to meet urgent needs. Uh, but they owned it. And the, we're going to see in Acts chapter 5 that Ananias and Sapphira owned the land, okay? And it was theirs and in their control. So um, uh, we'll hit this subject a little more. Uh, Dan, would yeah. you see this as an example of blessing following obedience? Um, With regard to this early church. Uh, you mean following obedience in which regard? Well, obedience to the word, to, yeah. to preaching the gospel yeah. properly, and yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, um, uh, he who waters will be watered, you know, also, right? You know, the Proverbs have that, you know, those who are generous <laughs> will be blessed with more. I mean, we don't believe in the health, wealth, prosperity formula thing, but those principles are there, right? Yeah. And, uh, but it's, it's hard to predict what the blessing's gonna be sometimes, you know. Uh, Peter, uh, Peter goes before the council and, and he's, he, ha- he, he doesn't get executed, but we're gonna see in the account, Stephen goes before the council and, and Stephen is the first martyr. <laughs> well, he is blessed, right, Dave? St- Stephen is blessed, uh, he gets the highest honor. He gets he he's the first one. He got there before us. Yeah. And, and 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 Stephen is the first one to get the highest honor. To die for Christ's namesake, isn't he? Wow. Well, may God help us, you know, guys. Um, you know, what would happen if we had a real revival? I don't know. But, you know, there's a revival in every heart. <laughs> every heart that comes to the Lord Jesus, <laughs> confesses his name, wants to be baptized in his name. There's a revival in every, in every heart that uh, confesses the Lord Jesus and calls upon the one name given under heaven. Right? And uh, uh, all, all a real revival is, is God just does that to thousands of people all at once. <laughs> Instead of three or four a year or five or six a year, he does it to thousands of people all at once. And, and uh, so, all right, I'm just rambling around. Uh, any other thoughts or, or questions? And great to have some of you online. That, that's kind of special. Uh, anybody? I want to say Braden. The only reason I know that is Riker's back there running the equipment. <laughs> and you guys are identical twins. And, uh, oh, let me catch up. Hold on. You're too young to forget. Dave and I have an excuse that, of losing a thought, but you, you're too young to lose a thought. I, 
I also seem to notice that when Peter and John uh, healed the lame man earlier in the chapter in Christ's name, that the oops, yeah. that the, the chief priests and the, and the scribes they actually marveled and were a lot more cons- uh, woeful about it than when Jesus did all these many things, uh, even more uh, astonishing in the gospels. In the gospels, and the chief priests. Uh, cast aside as some small thing that happened and didn't even really think about it. So that's just what you see is the uh, how the their minds were closed bef- in the gospel, and then afterwards they were open to reason or reasoning in uh, an astonishment at what Christ Jesus has done in certain senses. Yeah, yeah. but but uh, Braden, they were the thing they were marveling about. I mean, th- they were. Marveling about the material, the miracle too. But let, let's let's throw that back up for a second. They they were marveling about the boldness and how fluent and well uh, they spoke. Uh, let me get back up there. Yeah, yeah. Where is it? Around here in verse. Yeah, right here. Okay. See, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled. Okay, so they're, they're first they're, mar- you know, they're marveling about who are these guys. You know, they, they haven't gone through our schools yeah. and they're speaking like this and they're bold. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I see that and it's actually pretty interesting. But what I'm uh, referring to is when uh, they say in 16... For that indeed a noble miracle oh, has been done okay. by them. Absolutely. Right. They acknowledge that a notable miracle has been done. and um, Whereas in Jesus' time, they wouldn't even express that. They, besides certain instances, in the majority, they would try to critique as much as possible. Well, there's different reactions in the Gospels. You're right. This connects. This, no, this is a good. This is a good line of thought to, to go down. In the Gospels, when with the man born blind, they were loath to believe it initially, and they were trying to deny it. Right, and so that's an example where they were really blind and hardened, and say, "Well, maybe he wasn't born blind." Remember that they get his parents. Is this your son? Yes. Well, was he born blind? <laughs> and and uh, so forth. And so they were in that category. But what's, what's an, another example of this where they knew the miracle was real and what they tried to do? It was one of the last miracles. And it was a big one. <laughs> And they, yeah. was that? Lazarus, yeah. The raising, what did they do? What did they try to do? They tried to kill him and Lazarus. They tried to kill Jesus and Lazarus. <laughs> yeah, they knew that miracle was real. And they went so far as to begin the plot to try to kill Lazarus. Yeah. That's the hostile witness thing again, right? They can't deny it. So they're hostile witnesses to it, which is the proof of it. And uh, what else did they do? Maybe some of these very men in this council. Mm-hmm. What, how, how else did they respond to Jesus' miracles when they couldn't deny it, couldn't deny them? They thought he was going to bring down the nation. Well, they were afraid yeah. of that. But what yeah. did they, how did they explain when, when, they, when they got in a corner and the evidence was so strong that it's a miracle, what did they, what did they do? They thought that he, they, they, his, his man had to die for the nation, or am I getting farther away? No, how did they explain the miracle? When the miracles became, were undeniable, how did they explain them? The devil, by the Satan. Devil. He by casts Satan, out yeah. Satan by Satan. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. They find a way. That that went on past 70 A.D. It's written in the Talmud. That was a standard Jewish argument. And, and um, uh, th- by the way, that's one of those historical references outside of the Bible 
of Jesus' miracles is that in the Talmud, the, the rabbis mount up this defense that he worked these miracles by sorcery and magic. They don't try to deny them. They explain them the same way they explained in the Gospels. He had to do it by Satan. Richard, hand him, hand him the microphone. Wait a second. How do you say that name? <laughs> You're asking is, me? Is, I would say it's Beelzebub. Beelzebub. I won't tell you how I, my, dear wife, my dear wife got me straightened out on that one. After she heard me say it a few times, I'll tell you what I used to say. I used to say Beelzebub. <laughs> It was my dear wife that 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 that, that said, "No, it's Beelzebub." <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, they knew a notable miracle had had occurred, uh, but yeah, they're hardened in hardened in unbelief. Uh, Riker. Okay. Brian Rood says, Daddy Rood is pleased with Braden's question and deep thoughts. <laughs> your father is, is pleased with your... You're mumbling a little bit. I'm surprised how muffled that sounds. I couldn't quite hear. Oh, sorry. Daddy Rood is pleased with Braden's question and deep thoughts. <laughs> Okay, very good, you guys. It's 8.15. This is what makes this class special is we can have uh, interaction and we can pursue rabbit trails and, and it's all good. So, All right, uh, who has a microphone? Richard has a microphone. Let's see. Why don't you lead us in prayer, Richard? <laughs> you guys know what a broom dance is? Anybody know what a broom dance is? Anybody? A broom dance? Okay. When I grew up... Well, it might be exclusive to being Italian. <laughs> this is what... A, they did it at Italian weddings all the time. Is everybody would get out on the dance floor and, and you know, as couples, and they would start dancing. And then... They, you, inter, you put into the crowd like a half a dozen brooms. And as you're dancing, you hand the broom off. And so there's six brooms all circulating around. And when the music stops, whoever has the broom has to give a dollar to the bride and groom. And passing the microphone around <laughs> reminds me of that. Whoever, whoever we stop talking with who's holding the microphone leads us in prayer. That's the connection about the broom dance. Uh, none of you know that tradition? Nobody. Where they pin the money to the bride? Yeah, but whoever got, when the music stopped, if you were holding on to a broom, you had, you had to pay. All right. Okay, Richard. <laughs> Lead us, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we're very grateful for having this time to study your word and fellowship. Lord, be with us through the week and help us to uh, manage our affairs with dignity and we hope that all works out within our little worlds. Lord God, be with, how would you say, our leadership and the people as we go forward and not get caught up in the past or the dits of today. Mm. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.